my father got into hiking in his 50s, and so that meant the whole family was going to be into hiking too. And so we went all over um, to, uh, doing different mountains, and I really wasn't that big of a fan of it. I always wanted to know, like, where are we headed? Or any, where are we hiking to? Is there going to be like a waterfall or something beautiful to show us at the end? Are we going to run into a bear? Is, what is going to be so amazing about this hike? And part of the reason that I struggled with hiking is that I seemed to have constant disasters. I would step on, step on a hornet's nest and it would sting my face. This one time we were in Alaska hiking and my sister's shoelaces had unraveled and so we needed someone to cut them. I got out my handy pocket knife, cut them, and when I went to go close up the knife, I kept my thumb right there and it sliced all the way through. And my mom, who was a nurse, was like, just hold it above your head. And I was like, wait, we're going we're gonna to keep doing this? She's like, yeah, just hold it above your head. It'll eventually, you know, it'll seal up. So one of the things that I have learned as I have grown up is that hiking isn't always about the destination, but it's about this journey. And it also can be about what you see as you go along and most importantly, who is with you on those hikes. Mountains and people hiking are all throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. Jesus is on mountains. We've got the Israelites all wandering on a constant hike for years. And so today we're going to look at Moses and the people of Israel as they are hiking through the wilderness. So in the book of Exodus, it comes to this, this apex when the Israelites finally reach Mount Sinai. Now, this is a turning point in the story. Up until this, they have left Egypt. They have been wandering around. They've kind of been waiting for the next thing. Well, they get to the mountain, and then we're told that the mountain is covered with a cloud, and God calls Moses up, and then he begins to share with him and to speak to him. This is where we get the Ten Commandments. In that moment, God speaks the Ten Commandments to Moses, and then for three more chapters... God tells Moses all of these other laws and ordinances that the people of Israel will need to follow so that they can be this chosen people set apart for God. After Moses comes back down, after receiving this first set of laws, God calls him back to the mountain. And he calls him back and he says, but this time I want you to bring some priests with you. And so he asks for Aaron and Aaron's sons to come. And then he says, I want you to choose among you 70 of your elders, and I want them to come, and I want them to come to the base of the mountain, and I want you to worship me there. And then our text today. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. To the elders, he had said, wait here for us until we come to you again, for Aaron and Hur, those are the priests, they are with you. Whoever has a dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, 
God called to Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. This is the word of our Lord. This text is one of those texts that I say say to myself, oh, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if we heard so clearly, you need to come up to me? Wouldn't it be so nice if God just clearly stated, as, as clear as I am speaking now, what we were supposed to do and how many people we were supposed to bring and who we were supposed to bring with? And wouldn't it be real nice if we got a 40 day and 40 night break just to get to be with God up on a mountain? So at first, the story seems to relate very little to my life. And whenever I read a text that I think, oh, this, this has nothing to do with me, I try to lean in a little bit more because usually then God has a deeper message from that. It's not something you just get at its first value. And so I want to break it down. It appears that Moses goes up on the mountain a number of times. Did you hear he went up on the mountain? He went up on the mountain. And yet we're never told of him going down. Verse 12, the Lord called to him, come up to me. Verse 13, Moses sets out and goes up. Verse 15, Moses went up and the cloud covered. And verse 18, Moses enters the cloud and went up on the mountain. Each time that Moses goes up on the mountain, the same Hebrew word is used, Allah. And it literally means to climb. It doesn't mean to walk or to stroll or even to run. There's this idea of effort and ascent and having to think about where you are putting each step. Why do you think the repetition in this story? When you climb a mountain, don't you just go for it and get to the top? My kids, as soon as we start a hike, they're like, can we just get there? Right? That's what you do on the mountain. I mean, how hard could this mountain be when you know that the creator of the universe has just spoken to you, come up to me? And so I did what all people do. I I googled Mount Sinai and this is what it looks like. As you can tell from this picture, this is not a hill. It's taller than Mount Mitchell, Mount Washington, the Grand Teton, 7,500 feet. My friend Diane, she went on this trek. You can go there in Egypt and go on this trek. And um, she described it to me. They leave early in the morning with a guide because you want to get up there to see it at sunrise. There's two ways that you can go up. So in one of those ridges, not the, the big ridge, but the second ridge there, is, is there are 7,000, 7, sorry, 4,000 steps that you can choose to take to get up to the top. They're called the steps of penitence. And penitence basically means like with every step you take, you think about, what you have done wrong. (laughs) That's one way to go, but that's not the way Diane went. They went um, with a guide, and and only trekkers can go on this, and you're only allowed to go on top of a camel with like a little guide, a young person guide leading you. And when you do that, it's this long, wide, very steep, very dangerous way to get up. And then once the camel gets to a place where it doesn't want to go up anymore, you get off and you go alone or with the other people that are with you no guide 
no camel. This is a hard journey that Moses was making. I wonder if that's the reason there seem to be so many starts and stops. So many different times that God had to continue to call out, come on up to me. This text presents three questions for us to ponder today. First, if the Lord was to say to you, come up to me on a mountain that's steep and it's going to be hard and might, you might require a guide and you might have to ride on a camel, come up to me. Would you even go? Would we even go on that journey? Who would we bring? He brought Joshua. Who would, who would you bring? And then how long would you be willing to wait for something up there? Last week I shared that to be human is inextricably tied with God's very existence. It is in God that all things have been created and it is in God that all things and through whom all things exist. But sometimes that journey with this God who created it, it feels like a climb without a guide on a camel. When I saw and heard what it takes to hike Mount Sinai, I was kind of relieved actually. I have this picture of Moses. He's, a, he's like bigger than life character, right? But we know he messed up so much. He murdered early in his life. He murdered a man. He continued to disobey and didn't always listen to God. He made major mistakes. So I was relieved that, oh, it was Moses. And you know what? Moses didn't get an easy ride like none of us do. It was a difficult journey up that mountain. But you know why I was also relieved? I was so relieved that it, it wasn't easy. I think sometimes I think I signed up for this Christian life. Do you ever feel like you signed up for it? I signed up for it, and that meant I'm, it's supposed to be easier than living a non-Christian life. I was so relieved that this was a difficult journey that he had to continue to get beckoned by God. I was relieved for all of us who were just over how difficult life can be. The constant drain. I was talking with one church member this week and she said to me, Emily, it's all just too much. Have any of you felt like that? The climb is just too much and I don't have any more endurance to go. So why didn't Moses just dart right up that mountain and finish it? Well, because it was a tough climb. But I think that's why in verse 13... Moses says, I'm going to bring my assistant along. And so he grabs Joshua to come with him. A companion. Joshua has helped him all throughout his ministry, has spoke for him when he couldn't speak. Has helped hold his arms up. You and I can both testify that climbing the mountain, doing this faith journey with God, it is difficult, but it is so much easier when we are doing it with other people. And what was Jesus' first thing that Jesus did in his ministry after he came out of his time in the wilderness being tempted by Satan? The first thing that he did was call 12 people to be around him. He didn't try to go at it alone. And he was intimately connected with the creator and the creator himself. The hiking people that I know, the experts, they say, never climb alone. 
It is a fact that the journey is long and the road is hard, but our very existence was created by God to be with God and to be with others. The Lord, I believe, has given all of us companions, Joshua's, to walk with on our journey of faith. Moses waited in the cloud for six days. I hadn't realized that before. Six days he waited for God to speak. It wasn't till the seventh day that God spoke. I wonder if there was any moment that he thought God wasn't with him when he was up there. I went to this camp when I was the summer before my ninth grade year. It was a two-week outrigger camp. It was called Pioneer Plunge. And like we literally, they put backpacks on us and we took everything with us. And we, like we bathed in a mountain stream and our, the stream kept our food cold. Like one of those places. And on day 10, it was like our, you know, turning point in, in that journey. They had us go on a solo. And we had to go and camp in the woods by ourselves overnight for 24 hours. And we were given a tarp to keep the rain away. And then you could bring your sleeping bag. You could bring your journal and a Bible and a pen and a bag of gorp in case you got hungry. Good old raisins and peanuts. The hardcore people were like, I'm going to fast. You bet I got that bag of gorp. And I'm there, and, and I like put, make my little thing, you know how you do over a tree with my tarp, and I'm laying there, and you won't believe what happened. I got out my Bible, I got out my journal, I began to read, and before I knew it, I fell asleep. I slept a lot in that 24 hours. And then I started to feel bad, because aren't I supposed to be having this like mountaintop experience with God? I mean, I'm here, God. I'm here. I, I think Moses had to have been up on that mountain. He's like, you told me to come up here. There's a cloud here. Where are you? And when we got back to camp after the 24 hours, some of my friends were, they, they had burning bush moments. They like had Jesus dance with them in the woods moments. And I'm like, what did I do wrong? In our busy lives, don't you ever feel like we have to show what we do with our time is worth it? That what we did, and so time with God, it sometimes doesn't appear worth it. My leader said to me when I got back, oh, Emily, maybe you needed rest. Emily, did you get to read your Bible? Yes, God speaks through that. Did you notice the sounds of all of the animals in the woods around you? Yes, that was God. I have to imagine that when Moses was up on that mountain and the cloud had descended, I have to imagine he was better than me and he felt the presence, even though it was silent. That's what I hope for us is that we would realize that we are inextricably tied to the creator, that being human and being a follower of Jesus means that we always have someone with us. But not just that. I know I'm preaching to the choir. Part of the reason that y'all come here on Sundays is because you want that experience with God. Or maybe your parents made you come. But for most of you, you're here because you're like, I want that experience. I want to be surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ who I know are partnering with me on that trek 
up the mountain, who are going with me and are willing to stop. And as we said in our call to worship, members who are willing to suffer when I suffer, who are willing to rejoice when I rejoice. It is no accident that any one of you are in this particular church at this particular time. God has bigger plans to surround you with people. Like Jesus surrounded himself with people that can say, come on, let's go. Others that can say, you need to take a break. It's time to stop. Get some water. And others who will just say, you know what, let's just sit here. Let's just sit here. It may not be something that appears super productive to the world, but it is worth it. Oh, that all of us could know we are never alone. We were created to be with God and with others. May it be so in my life and in yours. Amen.